Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, tis the season. Are you getting festive yet, or are you guys still in Thanksgiving mode? So we have a Christmas tree that is out. But it's one of those, it's artificial, you know, you stick the three things together and it's yeah, just got the lights. Boom, Christmas, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so my son's pretty psyched about that and he's three, so he's tall enough now that if we put in ornaments, yeah. there's not going to be that much room on the tree. So, you know, right now it's not that festive, but like a tree is present, the lights are yeah. on, hey, you know. That's good. How about yourself? Did you guys get the decorations out and everything? We did. I kind of, I had a burst of Christmas energy yesterday, and so we spent quite a few hours decorating, and the kids went nuts, and my son, you know, same thing, three, so he's, you know, kind of gets it, and he's excited, but then he thinks the ornaments are to play with, so they get thrown, and <laughs> so, like, the bottom half of the tree is, like, stuff he put on, which looks very unorganized, and then the top half looks relatively normal, so, yeah, that, and then we got, I actually decorated my little home office, because I was pretty pumped about that, so mm. put a Christmas tree in there, I was at Walmart, and, yeah, just, again, got excited, and bought random things that I didn't need. But that was cool because now my daughter comes in and she helped me decorate my Christmas tree in the office. So that was fun. Nice. My daughter has a Christmas tree in her room. So we've got plenty of Christmas trees, but they're like the $30 ones you get at Target. So it's not, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, just another Christmas tree to throw in the mix. Festive. Yeah, yeah. I'm a geek for Christmas decorations. I love it. I grew up, my parents were hardcore. So it's just part of the, you know, part of the ritual at the house. So it's fun. And then I play the old school like, I don't particularly care for the new school Christmas tunes, but I love the old school Christmas tunes, like like the silent night. Okay, you know, the like, like classic Bing Crosby and yeah, stuff. Yes. The the Mariah Carey Christmas album isn't... <laughs> no, it's, it's not quite. And, playing in your family. No, but it's funny because my parents played like the most old school Christmas music when I was growing up, and I despised it. And I was like, you know, I just didn't appreciate it. But now I find myself playing it and my kids are like, uh, and my wife's like, are you, can we play something like new? So I'm like, no, this is a novelty. My parents used to play this. I need to listen to this at least once a day. So yeah, I've got that going on, which is hilarious. But yeah, I'm excited. So tis the season. Everyone's in relatively good moods. And yeah, so hopefully Santa comes and brings lots of gifts. All right. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, enough about that, Matt. So Today's topic, we're going to talk about fluid shear. And for anyone out there who's familiar with drilling fluids, you are probably familiar with the term shear. But Matt and I are here to give you a little bit more insight as to what it is more from a technical perspective, you know, why it's important, you know, some of the sources, and really kind of dive a little bit deeper into the just, oh, you know, mud needs shear to activate. Because that's typically on a rig. It's like, oh, just wait till it shears a bit. Everything will, you know, be good. But what does that mean? We're here to tell you. So Matt, how would you first describe what fluid shear is? So I think, think of, you know, we talk about shear stress and shear rate when we're talking about viscosity, but shear stress being the force per unit area applied at a constant flow rate. So, you know, how hard are you pumping or applying pressure at a given flow rate? And and the thing is, you know, we just call it shear many times. But when we think about why it matters, you said, you know, whenever there's 
a problem or we just treated the system and it hasn't kicked in yet. So I need, need a couple of circulations, you know, let's shear it up a bit. And that's sort of a, you know, catch all term for something that's happening that will like, wait, it's going to start working. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But what exactly is going on, you know? So for example, with oil-based mud, a lot of it is just tightening up those emulsion droplets. And so, you know, let's say you mix a, mix some more volume and, or even new volume, it needs to be applied under that high pressure so that those droplets will actually come apart and break down into smaller droplets, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes it much more stable. So typically after we shear, we see some of our properties go up, even electrical stability, the emulsion fluid loss goes down, you know, things kind of tighten up, Right. but it can do more than that. So in water-based mud, for example, uh, you know, some shear can be good because it will help with hydration. For example, when you're pressing that polymer chain up again, you know, up against some water and, and, you know, also giving it some heat because when you produce a bunch of friction, which fluid passing through, for example, a bit nozzle, you're going to also generate some heat. And so those things actually will help with that product, what we call yield. But so now you're talking about, okay, it's mixed up better and those products are activated. And that's really where we get kind of the, these are the benefits of shear. This is why we need shear to happen. Gotcha. No, definitely helps clear things up. So why does it matter? I mean, what, well, you did mention it actually, but is there anything else beyond that that is important for a system or is it basically just for you know, yielding products and really just overall stability of the system. Well, you know, I, I think part of the thing you've got to circle back to is just, yeah, the product, you know, the fluid looks better. It does what you hoped it was going to do when you gave it that treatment. But, you know, it's also when can I give it that treatment, right? So right. on a rig, it's pretty straightforward. It needs to go down the bit, right? However, you know, there are other circumstances where we try and apply that, even if it's not nearly as good as going through a bit, which we know is tons and tons of pressure through a very small place, for example, you know, circulating through our gun lines, right? You know, they're circulating on the, on pumps. So you can even have impellers on centrifugal pumps that are designed to provide better shear. And so there are what you would call shearing pumps for that reason. And then, you know, you've probably heard of a shearing hopper. Yeah. And if you actually look at the side of the hopper, you'll see that it narrows down almost like a, you know, a cone and then expands back out. And it's basically... You're circulating at the same rate through the hopper, but it's get all that fluid's getting squeezed into a much smaller space as products added. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting that friction, you're getting that shear. And, you know, most importantly, it's getting it through the drill bit. And this can be, you know, we've we've talked about this to some degree, and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more here, but there's no replacement really for drill bit shear. And so, you know, sometimes we'll have a, a customer say, Hey, here's the fluid I want. And it arrives on location or you start drilling and they say, well, this isn't within program. You say, look, let's finish drilling out the shoe track. Let's, condi- you know, give me a minute. But like these products haven't yielded yet. I need some shear, but we'll have exactly what we need when we're, we're really drilling. And so aligning those expectations where, you know, sometimes it's, hey, I expected these properties. Like you'll get them. Just give me a few minutes, you know, give me a bit. Right. So I think that is certainly a challenge, especially when people don't understand that, you know, the timing of adding these products, sometimes you have to anticipate, you know, look, oh, it's sheer degrading even. I need to start throwing some more in because it's going to yield after another circulation. And if I wait any longer, that stuff will have broken down and this stuff won't have yielded yet. I mean, my engineers kind of get an instinct for this, but it matters not only in timing your treatment, but making sure that everybody on the team understands 
I'm not just throwing product in to make money here. I'm trying to keep, you know, keep us going ahead. We're programmed to be. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So what about like a new drilling fluid system? Because obviously when you're mixing in a plant, you're not mixing anything through a bid and, you know, you've got a hopper and, you know, you've got a little bit of agitation in the pits, but for a new fluid system, how important is shear and how would you, I guess, outline why it's important to, you know, have that, you know, essentially, like you said, wait until we get it to the rig before you really put it under a microscope and start looking at the properties that we're going to be drilling with. Well, you know, one is new muds, especially 100% fresh mud, no seed mud, as we call it, which, you know, I'll talk about in a second. You know, the problem is it looks really skinny. It doesn't look like normal mud. I, I remember we had, you know, one location I was working, a competitor had come in, brought in their brand new fluid. And everybody's like, oh, look, their stuff looks terrible, you know, and it's like, no, it's actually just new mud. It's going to go through the bit a few times. It's going to look like just like everybody else's. Mm-hmm. It's not that their products are inherently bad. You know, it, like these are just fundamentals of fluids. Like, yes, I think we do a better job than them. But no, I don't think the reason is because of that specific instance, right? But, you know, if you're making a lot of new volume, let's say you have losses and you have to build a lot of new volume at a plant that's been cleaned out, mm-hmm. you know, that you can have, it can be hard to suspend weight materials, that sort of thing. And so let's pretend I add products so that I could get it, you know, better properties I'm a little more comfortable with. That's great, except for then when I shear that fluid, it may get really, really thick as those other products that didn't yield under insufficient shear yield when they go through the bit. So you've got this balance of trying to suspend the material without it falling apart and making sure you can transport it. Right. And so sometimes you might add what's called a sacrificial viscosifier, something that breaks down with shear, but at the low shear that you get at a plant, you kind of add it right before you start stop circulating. Mm. It'll help you with transportation, then it'll break down when you start when it goes through the bit, hopefully. Right. You know, and and I'll talk more about shearing units here as well, but you can actually basically get a giant pump and circulate it through the equivalent of a drill bit and try and get some of that yield. But, you know, one thing we hope for is we have at least a little bit of seed mud. Mm-hmm. Even in, you know, challenging situations, you hope you have a little bit of some base that's already been through a drill bit to kind of just get you started. And most formulations are going to start from taking some volume, even if even if the properties weren't great, and using that as sort of your base, and then the fresh volume will clean it up and, and get you where you need to be. You know, but really the, the only other thing when you've got these really lean fluids, as, as I've mentioned, is hopefully when you're drilling out the shoe track or, you know, kind of in the middle of some other things, you can not only get that shear, but you can kind of make any adjustments that you need with the time you've got. And so I think most managers are pretty good at this. And that's why a lot of that part doesn't really get noticed by operators is yeah. because it's just sort of part of the deal. It's sort of, it's only when you have like people breathing down your neck and, you know, why are these properties not where I think they're supposed to be? It's like, well, they will be, right. and they will be when it matters, but I need a minute, you know? Right. Patience, patience. It's tough, but you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, like even when you're again, tripping for pipe or whatever, a lot of times when you ever get back on bottom, it's like, oh, how come the system is not where it should be? And again, it's like, please be patient. A couple circulations, we'll be back on track. But sometimes it's hard to relay that because people, it's just, not quite understanding technically what's going on down hole. But you mentioned shearing units, and, and that's actually pretty interesting. It's not something that I have any hands-on experience with, but can you dive a little bit deeper into what shearing units are in maybe certain applications where they might be used? 
Yeah, I mean, it, so shearing units are fairly common at mud plant servicing offshore. And, and if you think about it, I need six or 8,000 barrels of 14-pound mud. And it's going to be on a boat that's rocking back and forth for a couple of days. And then I need to be able to pump this fluid that should be pretty homogenous up into a pit room from, you know, sea level. And so it just creates a lot of challenges. And so you'll find these, you know, frequently like truck mounted. Usually they're, you know, it's like a triplex pump, you know, really high horsepower pumping through a, a narrow aperture. And, you know, they're not cheap. That's why you don't see them everywhere is everybody tries to do everything else mm-hmm. until that point. But there've just been so many problems getting weighted mud out that, you know, it's worth it especially when you talk about some of these synthetic or thin oils that don't have as much inherent viscosity, they limit product yield and and be and you're building a lot of new volume, they basically become necessary. And so what you'll do is you'll circulate, hopefully it doesn't take too long, but you'll circulate through the mud pits and what you'll see is electrical stability is usually a good one. And you know, I hate absolute numbers, but trends what you'll see is you mix it fresh and it's 100 volts and you shear it a little bit and it gets up to 200 then it gets up to maybe 300, 400 volts, and then it just sits there. like it. But you see it increase, and then you see it kind of flatten out, and you're like, okay, well, it's in pretty good shape, and the idea from a time perspective is to do that in as few circulations as possible. Right. But you'll follow those trends, and you know you can rent these shearing units, or they may actually just be installed at a, a mud plant that uses them quite a bit. They're big and loud. I mean, what isn't? Right. Uh, at least in our line of work. But they can be quite helpful, especially with oil-based mud. I've seen them used in, with water-based mud, typically, you know, like synthetic polymers and other things that might not readily want to yield in certain fluid, base fluids. Yeah. But it is possible to actually overshear. I mean, I think we know this too, right? Like you throw in some polymers and they shear degrade and break down. You know, the longer the chain, the thinner they're going to get as they, they degrade. And then they might not provide the viscosity. Right. You might not get the fluid loss you need. And so there are instances where you can overdo it. And that gets into sort of the trap of, gee, I haven't done enough or, oh no, I've done too much. I'm actually wasting product. Sure. And so, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but there's a risk there. I get it. So with regards to like, say, building a system in the lab, how might shear, how could you, I guess, mimic shear in a lab? Can you, and what are some of the things we need to be aware of when building stuff in the lab that obviously you can't put through a bit first? Yeah, I mean, it's a really frustrating thing because you, you know, especially with a new fluid, you'll come up with basically the the lab properties and they look good and, you know, they look, you know, normal. But the fact is that we can't, they're generally going to be thinner and they're, it's going to be very difficult to replicate what you're going to see in you know, at the rig environment, Mm -hmm. which is why a lot of the testing we'll use with field mud. We'll use seed mud where we can, but if it's a hundred percent fresh, that's a challenge. And there are, we have a very large shearing pump that we will sometimes use. The seals break all the time. It's not my favorite. I don't think anybody else in the building really likes it given how loud it gets, Yeah, but it's designed to have a big pressure drop across a nozzle for this very reason. And so like some mud companies do have some of these types of shearing pumps to try and replicate. My experience is they work okay, but not relative to the trouble that it takes to get them. Right. But in some tests, it, it may be critical. It's just a little frustrating because, you know, yet you sort of have to educate the customer and say, look, this is, 
I feel good about the results I've got, no, having an idea of what it's going to translate to through a bit, but understand that I'm not going to get these exact numbers. Like this real, real logical profile isn't exactly what you're going to see. And so, you know, helping them understand that is a little bit tricky because they're like, well, what, nobody's figured out how to do this in the lab? And it's like, well, it's not that they haven't. It's that the methods that we have so far aren't very helpful. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the lab is also a bit tricky, especially when you're trying to convey, I've got the answer, here it is. Just, it's not going to look exactly like this when we do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Trust well, me. Yeah, and I, you know, and the thing is, folks like yourself and the rest of the technical department, I mean, they're aware of this. And so it's something that it's, you know, you've had to deal with this limitation forever. And so you've found ways to work around it and you understand it with, okay, here's what we're seeing in the lab. Well, once we get to the rig, you know, it's having enough experience to understand, you know, be able to communicate that to whether it's the account manager or whether it's to the, the rest of the, the product team or whatever. But again, it's just, you know, I think everyone deals with the challenge. So it's not anything unusual for sure. Matt, that, I mean, it's short and sweet, but I, I think we've covered a pretty good bit of fluid shear. Is there anything else that you feel would be important to relay? I mean, I think the most interesting part of this is a lot of this goes unnoticed until it gets noticed. Um, right. you know, and, and normally what that, what I mean by that is we through the, as a mud guys, through the regular course of our business, we account for these things, we make adjustments, we do what we need to do. But when you have somebody on the outside looking in and sometimes I've had, you know, the so-called kind of mud cops as they call them or, or whatever, who come more from a quality background and expect things to be very much like manufacturing where I have this tolerance mm. and this specification, and this is what I got. And, you know, you're always making fluid. So, you know, many times you have to stay ahead of anybody who might want to get involved in more steps than you're used to showing yeah. when they start asking questions because they're they're going to demand that it behaves the same way that, you know, the way a drill bit is manufactured or something like that. And, and fluids are very different from that perspective. And so when people start asking questions, it's really important, I think, to kind of over-communicate and stay ahead of this is not going to look exactly like what we have in the lab. And this is not going to look exactly like what it's going to be in the field. Right. It's going to be basically a semi-finished product until it goes through a drill bit. And then you can start jumping on me about whether we're meeting the, pro you know, the program specifications we set. Right. It's a good point. It kind of brings back a memory. Is I remember ordering when I was in the Northeast as a mud engineer, the synthetic uh, ABS-40 that we'd use up there. It came, you know, quite a bit coming from the plant, especially if there wasn't much seed mud, it was always something that we'd get on the rig. I would tell the company representative and, and just communicating and saying, hey, here's what it looks like out of the frack. Because the first thing is, oh, go, you know, go check the weight and go check the properties to make sure we got what we want. And then a lot of times on paper, you bring it to the company and they'd say, well, this isn't, you know, this is not going to work. And so, it, you know, and then that education piece comes in. I was like, oh, actually, well, the fluid needs to shear. And once it does, here's what we'll expect. And, you know, Eventually, once there was trust built, then it wasn't ever questioned. But whether it was a new company rep on location or what have you, it was always important to relay like, hey, this is what it looks like in the frack tanks before we've like heated it up and put it through the bit. So just be patient again. Yeah, all the more true when you have a lower kinematic viscosity oil. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just this and way more emphasized. And so, you know, even when I, you know, when someone wants to look at a new oil, I immediately want to know what the kinematic viscosity is because uh, it might tell me that I, you know, we've talked about like wet and dry process clays. Well, a wet process clay yields faster. It's way more expensive, but it may be that we need to start with some of that where I wouldn't if it was a, a more conventional oil. Right. Um, so, 
you kind of got to figure out all those factors in play, make sure everybody's on board. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. But when, when people get involved in the process, they can get nervous. Yeah. And yeah, you got to, you got to build that trust. Yeah. And actually it kind of brings me to think of something else too, is it's not all products shear and yield at the same rate. So a lot of times, you know, if you're adding, let's just say product for low end rheology, there's certain products within the product line that, you know, may take two or three circulations or sometimes they may yield like six, eight, 10 hours after the fact. And so I've seen folks that weren't, you really didn't take it upon themselves to understand the products quite well enough. They would add it. And it was like, oh, well, it's not working. Let me, you know, double up the concentration. Next thing you know, you've got a, you know, a six and three or a yield point that's way higher than you were expecting. And so again, not all products react the same, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So do your research, or if you're adding a product that you're not familiar with, get with your engineering department, get with the account manager, say, hey, how does this yield? Should I expect it in a couple circulations? Do I need to be, you know, careful with it? Because yeah, there, it can be pretty finicky. But again, I mean, we could go down all sorts of rabbit holes, but not all products react the same. Have no fear. Let it shear. Great words to live by. <laughs> That's all I have, Matt. With the folks out there, it's the holiday season. Please be safe and careful when you're driving around and enjoying time with your family and friends. And if you have any questions or if you have any ideas for a show, please let us know. You can hit us up on LinkedIn or you can email us at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, where else can people find us? They can find us on LinkedIn if they want. That's right. LinkedIn and then YouTube. We've got tech tips, which yeah. are great. YouTube channel. Yep. I mean, we're all over the internets. All over the internet. You internets. just got to look. And there may even be a TikTok account coming in 2022. You never know. Yes. Something. <laughs> are you going to do the dancing? <laughs> I could. I've been known to do some silly stuff on camera, but maybe not for AES. Anyways, take care, everyone. Thanks again for the support. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.